Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, everyone. I'll be reading the Bible from the book of John, chapter 13. We'll read from verse 1 through 17. And when I'm done, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be unto God. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kemi. Thank you, Kemi, for the prayer. 
Good morning again. My name is Yemi, and um, we are continuing our series uh, in John titled Believe and Live, uh, based on the explicit declaration from the writer of this book that the things, that they, the things in the book were written that we might believe in the name of the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and that believing we might have life eternal in his name. Today we see a powerful illustration of a model of humility uh, that is so counterculture that even the most self-confessed aspirants to leadership uh, uh, would not consider. Now imagine if today you were, or you're a family member, your brother, sister, someone you're really close to was named uh, or was nominated to become the minister of the Federal Republic of Nigeria. What comes to mind? What images come to mind? Of pomp and pageantry, of national assembly and taking a bow, of perhaps, or some of you, motorcades, just entourage, right? Uh, for those who know how things are, the Esther code, the money that just comes, you know, you know and just the, the, just the, you know, and, and, and the minister. And that word minister comes from the same word from what? Servant, right? We don't, we, we, be honest, you don't, service or servanthood does not come to mind when you hear minister, right? Uh, in the church, some people sort of see that differently. And then, you know, in those days, the minister actually served. And then lately, in our day and age, the way you see ministers live, you know, you know, the word minister, again, has stopped portraying service within the church. But the mental picture we have is of honorifics, of protocol, of deference, of someone who is high and above uh, everyone else. It was so countercultural that, that, you know, when, when he wanted to wash Peter's feet, right, Peter had to protest. I mean, this is just not something that was done. But today when we talk about leadership, most people want to learn about how to be good leaders at work, right? Because apart from the one or two pastors in the midst, right, everybody is doing something in the, in the place of work, in your families, in your communities. We aspire to be uh, to leadership. And, and when we think about that, it's, it's usually work. It's usually business. And the models that we find are in the realm of business. But leadership extends to all spheres of activity. And, um, and most of us implicitly know that leadership is important. But if you don't know the uh, importance of leadership, and if you've been in Nigeria in the last five to seven years, and you still don't know that leadership is important, let's look at a few um, illustrations and, and decide which one you would like. Would you have liked to have lived in, uh, or to be living in Singapore, right, under the political leadership of Lee Kuan Yew, who took his uh, country, just a seaside uh, town, not a city, town, you know, Lagos is a city, right? Uh, you know, Uyo, I'm looking at people's faces. I'm trying to, I don't know any Calabar person here. Or if you go to places in Anambra, Nebu is a busy town. But they're not cities, right? There are very, very few cities that we, we know in Nigeria. But it was a town. And, and this leader took them from a GDP per capita of $500 per head to when he left in the 90s to 14000 but he left such a great legacy that today's uh, GDP per capita for Singapore is 55,100. 55,000. Would you have liked to, liked to have lived under uh, Lee Kuan Yew, Singapore, or Hugo Chavez of Venezuela, who at the same time when Lee Kuan Yew was exiting had uh, a slightly lower GDP per capita of 12,000. I mean, they've been a rich country and they were number one in South America for, for, for ages, right? And um, and when he left, it was still about 12000 In actual fact, he went up a bit and then he dipped. Still about $12,000 uh, per head. 
Uh, but since his death, I mean, the, the wonderful legacy, the wonderful platform he left behind has seen his country hit a GDP growth of minus 19%. Um, and as of last year, inflation was 808%. Don't complain about <laughs> stuff, right? 808%. And that is, so when one was a seaside town, this country, Venezuela, has the largest deposit of oil in the world. Somebody say, no, it's Saudi Arabia. No, it's not Saudi Arabia. Venezuela has the world's largest deposit of crude oil. Right? And, 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 you know, and that's what he has led them to. Nigeria, our GDP per capita is 2,450. Right, yeah, we're, we're, okay. Would you have loved to have been an employee of Enron, among the 20,600 employees of Enron in 2001, along with such wonderful names as Jeff Skilling and Andrew Fastow, right? Jeff Skilling was a McKinsey consultant, a former McKinsey consultant. Shade, shade thrown, shade thrown, right, right? And he brought wonderful systems into the, into the company. Um, or would you have liked to have been working for General Electric? Enron is gone, along with over 20,000 employees. They've become other companies now. But he took with him a sector, energy trading, crude oil trading, and all that, that employed close to 150,000 people. He decimated it in a space of two years. So he not only took down their company, he took down the whole sector. Or would you have loved to have worked for Jack Welch uh, in General Electric, right, who became a management guru. He has started his own management institute. And the platform he's left behind has GE employing 330,000 people across the world, and they own assets of $365 billion. $365, $365 billion. Okay. In, compared a, that company to the whole of the whole continent, the whole continent. Uh, what is our what is our what is our GDP? The size of our economy? Oh, it's falling to three hundred. Well, it's just about the size of like three hundred and sixty something. Um, oh, it's million. Anyway, anyway, it's billion. So it's about the size of uh, Nigeria's uh, economy. Do you? I mean, do you think leadership is important? Would you have loved to have lived under? Uh, if you're a black person, to live under Martin Luther and seeing the kind of strides that he took for black people and the fight for racial equality while preaching no violence, or Mahatma Gandhi, who fought for his, uh, uh, the independence of India, or would you have loved to have lived under the great man Hitler, or Stalin, or Mao Zedong? Would you have loved to have lived under the Martin Luther, again, not Martin Luther King, the Martin Luther uh, Look at the example he set on in the Reformation. Uh, would you have loved to have lived under the leadership of the church before him, and just the you know, and just think about the Middle Ages and the terrible nature of leadership in the church at that time, uh, extracting money from uh, from 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 congregants, selling um, what's it called, so selling indulgences. I mean, the indulgences that were sold in that period built St. Peter's Basilica. Just money, that we're, just, we're just selling blessings, just selling blessings. And um, it hasn't really changed in some places, right? Or would you have loved to have lived under post-reformation where you, you know, where you could actually worship the Lord and see God's grace and God's life um, at work in the church? Would you have loved to be a fan uh, of team coached by Luis Enrique who played who was 0-4 down in the first leg of a championship leg uh, match. And after the second leg, he turned it over. 6-1, the greatest comeback in all of football, in football history. Or under another team, 
close, that won five and gave us so much hope, you know, if you had hope. They have their MSN. We have our SOW, Sanchez, Ozil, and Walcott. We have a Sal. You know, they were going to turn it back around, right? One five. And what did we do again? Another one five. Which fan would you like to be? My shirt is available for anyone who wants to take it up and use it as a rag. In Nigeria, in the last two years, we have tasted, or last two, five years, leadership styles of two different parties. And in the last two months, we have tasted leadership styles of two different people within the same party, in the same government. Which one do you prefer? Do you still think leadership is not important? Right? We know it is important, but uh, we don't always know what it is. We don't always know how to recognize it. Uh, someone defined it, leadership as the art of inspiring others to make a story or a vision come true. The art of inspiring others to make a vision or a story come true. So somebody paints a story or a vision, and we want to move towards that goal. How do you get people? So practically, it's described as a process of influencing people's behavior, their thoughts, their attitudes, and action. I didn't start the timer. Right? So what do we, leave, what do we need leaders for? Right? We need leaders to define that or, or, to, or to articulate that vision for us, to tell us what that story is. Why does our group exist? Why, why is the church here? Why did God form the church? Uh, we need them to give us guidance as to, and to set strong examples for uh, us to follow. We need them to inspire, motivate, and get us to love the work, right? Because, you know, you have to love what you do, right? We, want them, you want, we need leaders to help us do it with joy. I'm not saying we're always going to be smiling. It's always going to be easy. But at least to know that we have a purpose and that we're moving towards our purpose. We need leaders to, to uh, equip us, to refine us uh, for that work and to build the values uh, that would define that organization and demonstrate that we matter, that life matters, that our lives matter, that people matter. So you have... When you talk about leadership, both at a, whether it's a church level or national level or in your families, you know, or in your communities, you have that thing about vision and what is the, where, where is this guy leading us? Where are we going? What is the purpose of our organization? Where are we being led? How are we being led? And uh, how does one lead? And you can get your leadership models from the culture, whether it's historical culture or, or modern culture, or you can get it uh, from the gospel. When Jesus wanted to wash Peter's feet, he protests and says, Lord, will you wash my feet? He says, you will never wash my feet, right? Indicating, to, indicating the, the, far, the extent to which Jesus' actions, what he was about to do, was so far away from the culture of the time. He just could not comprehend how, I mean, we've walked with him, we've seen him. How is it possible that this man uh, would, would say he wants, it was, it was so countercultural. It's not something that they could, uh, they could they, that he would consider until Christ spoke to him. Leaders just did not serve their followers during Jesus' time. And even in our time, leaders don't serve their followers. And they did not perform functions that were reserved for the lowliest of slaves. So in talking about leadership, uh, I'm going to talk about in three, in three, uh, uh, three sessions or three parts. Uh, we have a culture-defined leadership. Uh, I'm going to speak about uh, then the gospel portrayal of leadership. And then finally, We'll speak about the modern portrait of the servant leader. And the title of the message is Servant Leadership. So, where do we get our leadership models from? Uh, we get it from the military, uh, command and control, right? Where the goal is strict obedience to orders, strict obedience to orders and, and adherence to rank and to a battle plan. And the goal is that 
when we are in, in the trenches, when war starts, everything, everything military people do is preparation for what? War, right? So, and, you know, we, we want to create uh, a sense in people where they don't second guess, they don't, you know, they're not guessing where they're supposed to be, they're not second guessing the person who is commanding them. They hear, shoot, they shoot, they hear ceasefire, uh, they cease fire. And then sometimes in, uh, in the in battle, in trenches, you know, they don't even, you know, they don't even speak. In the days, they used to use bugle and trumpet, and you have to know what the trumpet is saying. And today, they use all kinds of call signs, right? You know, you know all kinds, you know, they, don't, they, don't, they just use signs. And you have to understand exactly what the organization is about and not question order. So command and control, a lot of, uh, a lot of leadership models have been drawn from the military. In business and corporate life, uh, we have the carrot and stick approach, right? The goal is to elicit behavior that positions the business to operate at maximum efficiency and make maximum money in the marketplace, right? And they use words like, uh, your goal here is to maximize shareholder value, right? They use very, very nice words. And, but at the base of it, sometimes on, on, on the extreme of it is they try to uh, appeal to your basis inst instincts, right? And say, don't you want to make money? If you, the more money you make for the company, the more also uh, you will make. So carrot and stick approach or performance incentives are uh, sort of uh, the ways in which people lead organizations. In public politics, government, uh, you have, that ranges from charismatic, inspiring, to populist and uh, demagogues to those who intimidate and those who exploit and manipulate. Public service, we have all kinds of models. So the charismatic person has good presence, speaks well. Sometimes he can inspire. If inspiration is not working, he will do divide and conquer. That's the demagogue. He appeals to the base instincts of this, us against them, uh, if us have the more population, right? And, um, and then sometimes they, they, they stoop as low as to intimidate the public, ultimately exploiting them. Thought leadership, right? Um, that frames culture uh, drawn from the field of academics, from entertainment, uh, so, uh, social, socialites type things, right? There are people there who, uh, who, who have a style in which they lead. It's very intellectual, sometimes it's charismatic, but it's all, it can also be very cliquish, meaning that um, you, have, you have to think like us, right? And if you don't think like us, you are what? You are out. And it can be bullying, right? Uh, how many people have seen, uh, if you're not what, what's called a Twitter overlord today, meaning you have your own followership, you're not part of the Twitterati uh, and the Illuminati on Twitter. I had to interpret that because I just learned it, right? Um, if you're not part of that clique, then you're not, then, then your ideas don't count and you're not part of the conversation about moving whatever topic it is they're, 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 moving on, they're, they're talking about. And it's usually, like, again, I said charismatic. So culture defines leadership. Uh, culturally defined leadership is steeped in, so this is the downside, is steeped in whatever sinful trends are in, uh, in your community that your community is expressing. Some of it is good, but it's not, it doesn't always have its own a, a value system or a, principles, uh, a system of principles that is consistent with the word of God. And the church simply can't afford to welcome and imbibe and, and take on uh, all these different forms of leadership. And leadership has been a big thing for the church, right? You have seminars, you have churches that, ded that dedicate resources to training people in leadership and to make sure that they lead well. Unfortunately, a lot of the models uh, are borrowed from culture. And we have to, at least based on what we read, we have to use the prism of the gospel um, and, and listen to what Jesus says about uh, that model and about how he lived. In, 
just after the Eucharist in Matthew 20, 25, also uh, contained in Luke 22, 25 to 27, there, uh, scripture records that there was a, um, uh, a dispute amongst the disciples as to which one of them would be the, uh, the greatest. And Jesus says to them, he says, the kings of the Gentiles, right, those who exercise authority over Gentile nations, uh, they call themselves benefactors and they lord it over them. But you shall not be like them. Instead, the greatest among you shall be like the youngest and the one who leads like the one who serves. The greatest shall be the youngest. Who is the last born here? Who is the last born? Or who, who, who is the first born? Who, know, who knows the advantage of having a last born in the family? Yes, all of you actually, you know. Just think about if you're a firstborn, and you see how your last born is, go and bring the slippers, close the door, and how, you're, you're, how the last born is ordered around. And Jesus is saying, if you're the firstborn, if you want to be the greatest, you must take on the form of the youngest. You actually have to be the one, the runt of the family that everybody seems to uh, send around. And it says, if you want to lead, you have to be like one who actually serves. The lords and benefactors of the modern church, right, have aggregated to themselves a lot of exaggerated messianic properties, you know. And we ourselves, we have heaped upon church leaders uh, attributes and um, attitudes and expectations that just goes way beyond, uh, uh, beyond the pale. There is an unhealthy relationship between uh, leadership in, uh, in the modern church. It is personality-driven, and, and they exercise um, the kinds of authority that is close to what Jesus says we simply cannot have. If we adopt a command control system, then you have leadership model in the church that cannot stand to be opposed, cannot stand to be questioned, cannot, you know, you know, cannot even uh, be bothered to explain uh, the vision for uh, the organization. Right? And, um, and if you oppose him, he bullies from the pulpit or they manipulate. Right? Simply, you just simply say, God told me. And then that's the end of it. If we borrow the carrot and stick approach, we risk, which is, uh, we, we, we risk becoming the money church. Because like the secret about the carrot and stick approach in, in, in the corporate world is that a lot of time the stick, is for, the stick is applied to the lower folks and then the carrot is applied where? To management. So we are what stock options so that if you perform, if you perform well, you exercise your stock options and you get more money. But if you don't perform well and the stock doesn't do well, we revalue the stock options. And then you get the stock anyway. So the stick is taken away, right? And the same model we see in the church. We say, Pastor, you know, we, we, we try to incentivize people through God will bless you and you'll have money if you serve the Lord, if you serve well, and God is blessing us if our church is growing bigger, that, that sort of thing. However, the only people that are exploited, invariably, are people who are at the bottom. I've not seen, I'm yet to see in this country, uh, leadership that fails, that is even recognized as failing or has failed. I've yet to see people who publicly misbehave and the, and the stick is approached. The discipline is, uh, discipline is applied uh, to such leadership. And then what we end up having is a church that is so focused on money and uh, where the pastor becomes, what's that new word? Pastorpreneur. Right? If we borrow from social media, then we have, what we have is a narcissistic, charismatic form of leadership. Where they're focused on themselves, they seek the light, limelight, they seek to be in front, they take credit for every good work. Uh, if we do well, it's, my, it's because I'm doing such a great job. If I'm not doing well, whose fault is it? 
You, of course. Right? And so we have in the modern church leadership that loves to vaunt, that loves to be in front, and the limelight that loves to um, have the same accoutrements as um, modern business leaders, because that's where we're drawing our inspiration from. We want to ride in our private jets. We love the greetings in the marketplace. We seek uh, praise and adoration of men. But let's look at what the gospel teaches us. Uh, so we're looking at the second part, a restored portrait of leadership. In verse 1, uh, we, uh, the Bible says that Jesus Christ, having loved his own, he now loved them to the very end. The model of leadership that we, saw, that we see Jesus exercise is one that is motivated by love. Primarily by love. He loved them. He showed them the full extent of his love by loving them to the very end of his life. He took on himself the humiliation of a slave. Um, and that's to demonstrate that full extent. Foot washing was not done by, again, like I said, by, by the, the householder. If you travel to come visit me in the old days, um, if you're rich enough, you would have a donkey or a horse or something like that, or a horse-drawn carriage, right? And so you probably wouldn't need to wash your feet. So, but if you didn't have an animal and you didn't have a horse and a carriage, you would have to travel through the streets. Dirt, mud, everything would be tracked in. And then when you came into my house, I would tell my servant to get a jug of water and go and wash Mr. Bola's feet. It was work usually done by the lowliest of servants in the house. In, in very, very few circumstances, as a show of intimacy, a wife might perform such an activity for her husband. You know, Oluri, me, that sort of, for those of you who understand that kind of culture, right? And in some cases, if a, if a, if a, if a child might want to honor his father and perform such a function, right? Um, whether on his 70th birthday or some point in which the father is honored in recognition of the great work he's done for our family and his love for us, a child might perform it for a father. But, but, you know, the owner of the house didn't do it for his guests. And yet we see Jesus taking on the humiliation of a slave and demonstrating his love uh, towards us. And he did this in the face of impending death because the Bible says that uh, Satan had already placed in the heart of Judas, um, had already placed in his heart to betray him. So Jesus knew that, you know, terrible circumstances awaited him, and yet he showed him the full extent of his love. It is not a situational type leadership, for those who have heard that word before, that says that um, leadership, the kind of leadership style you adopt is one that depends on the situation, depending on the maturity or development of the people that you are leading. Now, some of those, uh, some of those what we call secular leadership models or, 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 or you know, uh, models may, are not entirely bad, but they don't always have a principle uh, or good principles that underpin them, right? So, but this is, this is not so, right? In spite of the circumstances, in spite of death that was coming to him, he, were, he washed their feet. In verse 3, we see that it, the Bible says that uh, Jesus knew that he had come from God and that he was returning back to God, meaning that I remember he told them also that, you know, I am your Lord and your teacher, right? And yet, he came and he washed their feet. Why, why was he able to do this, being God? It's because he was secure in his identity as the Son of God. Securing his identity from someone. He says he knew he had come from God. He knew he was going back to God. He says, I am your Lord. I am your teacher. Yet, I'm going to do this for you. And so the model of leadership or the model of a servant leader 
or the heart of a servant leader must first be rooted and planted in his gospel identity. We talk about that a lot in this church, that we're a gospel-centered church. Your gospel identity, the knowledge that Christ died for you, that you are accepted in God because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. The knowledge that we, are, we have Christ's righteousness imputed to us. The knowledge that we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. The knowledge that we're doing this work for the Lord. It means that we don't have to have heirs. We don't need necessarily the honorifics. We don't need to be controlling. We don't need a stick and carrot. We know who we are, or you know who you are in Christ, and therefore you can serve your family. You can serve your wife. You can serve the church. You can serve in the place of work because you know you are doing the work as unto the Lord. Because remember, we exercise leadership in different spheres of activity. So at the heart of the ability to lead uh, by serving is your security. If, you have, if you're a Minnesota Federal Republic, you have high officialdom. They are the trappings that we've talked about. But even if you were in a humble, you're serving in a humble uh, organization and you serve well, good performance will bring accolades, will bring praise, will bring all of those things. And your ability to handle that and not fall into the trap that that sort of good performance and leadership brings is also, also comes from being secure uh, in the gospel. We don't get our identity from our performance. We don't get our identity from our title, right? So if people call you pastor, it's all right. If they don't call you pastor, you are not greatly offended, right? Uh, uh, if, you're, if you're an engineer and people write your name without your title engineer this or doctor that, uh, you are not, my goodness, you know, uh, you, know, you, know you feel like you've been taken down a peg, uh, I remember uh, somebody who was quoting Martin Lord Jones about Martin Lord Jones about how we sort of become identified with our work. That um, on some people's epitaph, when they're when they're dead, and it will be written, "Born a man, died a doctor." Right? Because you know, because I mean, and I think what he was saying was that we grow up as human beings, we live life, and then we become so identified with our work, you know, you know, that we we no longer. We're, we're no longer just a man or a woman. We're now, you know, doctor or lawyer or businessman or, or, or media mogul, that sort of thing. We are getting our identity, we're getting our value, we're getting our worth from our work, from our job, from the position that we occupy um, in, in whatever organization we live in. And we can't have that. We simply cannot have that. So the church has to be distinct in how it exercises leadership. Uh, it must be done uh, much different from how the world would do things. And one of the things we see in Christ's example for us is that, and he commands us to take us as his model, is that we see God Almighty coming down, uh, walking with men, and then washing men's feet. And people construe that as weakness. If you, if you lead from a position of service, there are many, many who construe that as a sign of weakness, when it's in fact the opposite. Somebody defined gentleness as the restraint, the voluntary restraint of might, right? So if somebody is weak, physically weak, and he can't carry something, we don't call him gentle. He's just weak, right? He's just weak. He doesn't have any strength. He doesn't have any presence. He's weak. But if somebody is strong and is able to handle a newborn baby, we say, ah, he's very gentle. So gentleness is not something we ascribe to someone who doesn't have power. Right? Gentleness is something, yeah, or meekness is something we ascribe to someone who doesn't have any confidence. Meekness is someone, something we ascribe to someone who is uberman, who is supremely confident, who knows who he is, 
but voluntarily restrains his greatness, his dominion, his power, his might, and then he can deal with people in that manner. So when the Bible says Moses was the meekest man on the earth, what, are we, what was he also saying? He was also the most powerful man on the earth, empowered by God, that is. And, Je- and Jesus demonstrated that gentleness uh, to us uh, because he was God Almighty. And so, serving as a leader is not a sign of weakness, even though people may tend to abuse that. And we can put on, uh, as we heard last week when we were talking about humility, uh, the, this same mind that Christ has. Let his mind be in you, uh, that was in Christ Jesus also. Who being in the very form of God, did not think equality we got something to be grasped, but made himself of no, of no, of, of no uh, measure uh, by coming as a human being, and, and submitting to the death on the cross. And whereby God has highly lifted him and given him a name that is above every name. That name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Of things in heaven, of things on earth, of things under the earth. He served and then he was exalted. So what are some of the uh, sort of the modern picture, the last part, the modern picture of the servant leader? While there are still too many modern examples of boastful, rude, condescending leadership, um, both in culture... Uh, the president recently elected president of a country I shall not name. And in Christendom, right, we see that all around us. It's, it's, too, it's too painful uh, to even call those names. It's time we began to recognize those who follow Christ's example just, and, and orient away from people. Just shun those who don't follow that example. We don't need to complain. We don't need to make a big deal. We don't need to, to, um, to blast them in public. Just reorient ourselves, first of all away from those who don't follow uh, uh, Christ's example, who are consuming our culture's toxic brew of leadership. Uh, Peter, uh, God speaking through Peter in an admission to pastors in 1 Peter 5, 2 says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but uh, willingly, as God will have you, not for shameful gain, but eager to serve. So first of all, it defines the flock in the church as God's flock. And they ask leaders to serve willingly, uh, uh, committing their hearts to service, to servicing uh, the saints. And what in the church, what would we have leadership? What would, what would leadership look like? It would be someone who, again, like I mentioned before, who directs us, who articulates a vision, right? And who directs and guides, who feeds the flock, who cares for their soul, who protects them from wolves, according to uh, Acts twenty twenty eight who equips us for the work of God, and who inspires us, who inspires us to love the Lord Jesus Christ, to love the community of saints, and to love the people, uh, the city that we live in, so much so that we reach out to them. Some of you have heard some of these points before. Right? And we always see in, we see in, the, in scriptures this contrast between how culture and kingdom uh, will deal with leadership. What then, how does a leader or somebody who aspires to leadership or who is already in leadership, what I think he then pays attention to to make sure that um, he can fulfill uh, Christ's uh, role modelship so that he can follow Christ. He pays attention to his own character, right? He develops uh, the, confidence, sorry, the competence to teach, to pray, um, to listen, to encourage, to inspire, like I spoke before. Um, and whether he's an introvert or extrovert, he also learns how to connect with people, right? So not only in the church, most of us uh, misunderstand or, 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 or don't understand the importance of connecting with the people 
that we lead and we connect on an inclusive, on an inclusive level. He gives himself to daily devotion, to constant prayer, uh, and to practice of obedience. He pays attention first to his own life. And the test for whether you and I are leading well or are in a position to lead well is to ask ourselves, um, you know, if you're a leader on your best, how do you examine your, is to examine ourselves, how do you evaluate yourself? Do you evaluate yourself on, do you think of yourself, your leadership style or your leadership metrics? Is it, do you judge yourself by your best day or your worst day? In other words, if you're trying to see whether you, you're doing your work as unto the Lord or you're doing your work as a leader properly, do you judge yourself based on your best day or do you judge based on your worst day? And that would give you an indication of um, uh, an opportunity to sort of self-examine. In conclusion, let the leader remember that he's there to lead, right? Because we can sort of swing the other way and say, the guy who's appointed leader is appointed to serve us. And then you then forget that you're actually meant to lead. You're actually meant to direct. You're actually meant to paint that vision and inspire people to follow you along that path. Jesus says, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and he says, and that I am. So we're not pretending that we don't have people in authority over us. We don't, we don't pretend that the president doesn't have real authority, even if he's not a good, or even if he has his deficiencies. We don't pretend that uh, in a place of work that our manager is not, you know, doesn't have real authority. And we don't pretend in the church also that, uh, that whoever is set as a leader, whether for the church or in a gospel community, in a prayer band, you know, in a music team. And like I said, leadership is everywhere. We don't pretend that person doesn't have authority. We acknowledge he has authority. It's just that the way he exercises that authority is to serve the body and serve the saints, to think of their good and to do it in such a way that um, God is glorified. So our organization, City Church, we have an identity, Right? We say we're a gospel-centered urban church. We have a vision. What is the vision? To catalyze gospel-centered renewal in the city of Lagos. We have a mission. What is our mission? To build a community of worshippers on mission. So we have, there's a picture. There's a picture that we're painting. Right? It's been painted once. It will continue to paint that picture of where we want to go. The questions you ask yourself, is this vision God's vision? And that's always a good test of whether you should be in a place, in a church, or in an organization. The picture that's been painted, the vision that has been drawn, the story that has been told, is it God's story? Does it accord with the story that God would, uh, is, is playing for the church at large? And we have our principles, our values that guide us, our ethos that ensures that we don't descend into bullying. We don't descend into command and control. We don't descend into becoming a money church, right? And as everybody understands the vision, the mission, the values, we can correct our leader. We can ask questions of our leaders. We can participate. We can have the confidence to participate fully in what uh, our organization, this church, is doing. It's just that what we ask is that the style of leadership, right, the way to get us to move towards that vision is that everyone who is called a leader, who is appointed, whether it's appointed formally or whether somebody's acting in that capacity, because you can have formal or informal leadership, that any 
body who is serving in any capacity or who has been appointed a leader thinks of the people and serves them in the way that Christ calls us to serve. What would be the modern equivalent? I'm closing quickly. What would be the modern equivalent of washing feet? What does, would it look like if we decided, let's follow the example of Jesus. So, wash, foot washing cleansed people of their, the dirt on their, on, their, on their feet when they came into your house. So, we, will be, we should be a church where people come into our midst and we provide them relief from their embarrassment, right? From the different, well, come from all different walks of life, right? People come into our midst and they shouldn't feel embarrassed to be amongst us right? because you're trapped in dirt. Obviously, you don't have a horse or a carriage, Right? Wash your feet, come in and eat with us. Right? We've forgotten social standing, social status. We've left that at the door. We've provided a cover and we've provided relief. People are welcome, they're put at ease. Self-consciousness is taken away from them. Right? Uh, and those who are whatever walks of life, whatever leadership position you occupy, you can come low. When I say low, I don't mean just in social standing, but you can come and speak to people at their own level. You can show a lack of haughtiness. You can show a lack of self-centeredness. You're willing to associate with people that may not, you know, have the same interest, not just walk of life. They may not have the same interest as you. And as we build that kind of a church, we will find that we are serving one another and building up the body of Christ. And for those who who follow in any organization, who participates uh, in leadership, do we, what is kind of our response? Are we like Peter, who first says, no, you can't wash my feet, I don't need your help. And then when, you know, Jesus tells him exactly why he needs his help, he says, okay, can you do more? Can you give me a whole bath? You know, and, and that's how it is, right? You're either not doing, either your leader is not doing enough, or you want him to, you know, that means you want him to do more, or no, I don't want this. You sort of like to pick and choose. Um, what should be our, our response, therefore, to someone who serves us? Should, uh, we, do we despise him because, you know, we think, you know, my pastor needs to be, uh, he needs to be able to stand with other men of God and hold his own and look the part. Is that sort of how we think, right? My manager has to be, he's, he's not impressive. It doesn't look like he's CEO material, right? It doesn't have to be like that. Um, so, you know, there's an example in the Bible, 7 Corinthians 11, 7 to 14, where Paul complained to the Corinthian church. Um, because the apostles served, there was no boastfulness, no selfishness, no greed for filthy lucre. Um, and then the perverse way in which the Corinthian church saw them uh, was that, you know, they demeaned them, they despised them, you know, they just taught them of nothing. And then, and then refused to uh, participate or help out in the work. And Paul referred to those exploiters as false apostles, as deceitful workers, because their pattern was nothing like what we saw in Jesus. And we, all of us, are now are called to live as Christ would live, bringing this our gospel-centered, gospel-defined style of leadership into whatever leadership sphere, not just in the church, in families, in communities, in the workplace, right? Rather than borrowing. Uh, stuff from culture and bringing them into our lives, we should borrow, not just borrow, but wholeheartedly put on uh, the model that is uh, prescribed by Christ, seeing how we may serve one another. Finally, we see the example of Christ who did not think himself too high to identify with us. God came, 
sent his son to us. God whose ways are higher than ours came down as a bridge to God and he cleansed us of our sins. We see Jesus Christ who laid down his garment, put on a towel and wiped the disciples' feet and then took that garment uh, when he was done as a picture of a few chapters later when he would lay down his life. He would lay down his life on the cross and he would pick it up again uh, in his resurrection. He bore our sins on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins just as surely as he cleansed the disciples' feet on that first Easter. Mark 10 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In his death, we see a loss of dignity. We see him being crucified with criminals in an ignoble, ignoble death. Our great leader served us unto death and he calls us into similar service. And now his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel that cried out for vengeance. Christ's blood cries for mercy. Or it tells us that God has been merciful to us. That if we put our faith in him and we acknowledge what he did for us on the cross, that we will escape the wrath of God, we'll be reconciled to him, and we can become the friends, the very, very friends of God. Let us bow our heads and give thanks to our suffering servants, to our conquering king, to gentle Jesus, meek and mild, but also to Christ, the anointed one, our deliverer. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your loving kindness towards us. We thank you for the example you showed us in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for how your spirit has come into our hearts and is directing us to love you, to worship you, and to serve you in an acceptable manner. We thank you for how your word is helping us to redeem the practice of leadership how you are renewing our hearts and you're renewing our church. And ultimately, we pray, Lord, that you renew the practice of leadership in our city and in our nation. We thank you, Heavenly Father, and we ask that you give every single person here who has the glorious opportunity to represent you as a leader in their church, as a leader in their families, in their place of work, that they would put on Jesus Christ, put on the whole mind of Jesus Christ, I would serve you in a way that glorifies you and honors you. We ask this, Heavenly Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.